1: an expert on reaching young adults. We talk about online preaching, why you would hire a YouTuber to help you preach better online, and so much more. And I know you're going to love it. And this episode is brought to you by Lead a Better Team, my brand new course that launches in August of this year. It's coming soon. In the meantime, here's a free download for you. If you text better values to 33777, you will get my three step guide to developing better value statements, something that was really hard for me. And this episode is brought to you by Belay. Text Carrie to 31996 and get your free download of things to delegate to save 15 hours this week. I love Belay, I have worked with them for many, many years and use them many times myself. And it's so good to have JP back on the podcast. JP currently is a lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. Prior to that, he was the leader of The Porch in Dallas, Texas, the largest young adult ministry in America. I've been there a couple times. I'll tell you, it's no exaggeration, it's huge. And uh, he's the author of several books, including Welcome to Adulting and uh, his latest one, Welcoming the Future Church. And in that book, we touch on it. He inspires ministry leaders to attract and retain younger generations. They are the future of the church. And without them, we're all kind of lost. And so we go all over the place. We recorded this episode in the, I think, probably first month or two after coronavirus kind of erupted. And so we talk about the the pivot to online teaching, which, by the way, for the record, I think is here to stay. Uh, and we got to get better at talking into a camera or in the case of podcasting, talking into a microphone. What are some keys to that? And he shares some really surprising things I haven't heard anywhere else. So if you don't know JP, you're going to really enjoy this episode. And uh, man, I got to tell you, have you ever struggled with your team? Uh, I I know I have at different times. And you know it can be so difficult. I talk to a lot of leaders and you know what they say? I either have to micromanage these people or I need to get a whole new team. And you're frustrated. And sometimes you're frustrated with culture, right? And here's what I believe. I don't believe that people quit jobs. Uh, Most of us who listen to this are employers in one form or another. Your, Your team will not quit their job. You know what they'll quit? They will quit managers and cultures. And that's why I created the Lead a Better Team course. Now it's not available. It's coming soon. But I've got something for you today I'd love for you to grab. It's a cheat sheet, a short, quick process on how to create cultural values and a stronger team culture. Uh, Some signs you need to work on your team's culture. There might be toxic people in your team or organization. Maybe people talk about each other rather than to each other. Uh, there's a bit of suspicion or mistrust or staff are perhaps not performing at the level you know they're capable of, or only a few of your team members seem to be bought in and you wish you could clone them, but there's just not enough of them. So if you've had any of those problems, here's what you do. Text BETTER VALUES to 33777. I will give you my three-step guide to developing better value statements, which is a way of creating a much better culture. So that's a little advance morsel uh, for my new Lead a Better team. Just text BETTER VALUES to 33777. Then next month, uh, we'll bring you the whole course. But I'd love for you to get that in the meantime. And let's talk about time for a moment. I talked to so many leaders who are just slammed. I mean, the crisis has made it crazy. What if you can have another 15 hours this week and next week? and the week after. You know what the key is? A lot of that is delegation. Um, There are some things you can probably get someone else to do, like maybe your emails or scheduling or booking travel or planning meetings or your expense reports. It might sound scary because a lot of leaders, um, you know, most organizations, churches, companies are small. And that's because leaders struggle with delegation. Well, our friends at Belay are offering a free download of things to delegate to save 15 hours this week. Belay is revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant bookkeeping and social media strategist services for churches, not-for-profits, and businesses alike. So here's how you get it for free. Text CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 31996 to get your free download of Things to Delegate to save 15 hours this week. You can get it today. Love bringing you free stuff. Love bringing you partners like Belay. So before we get to today's interview with J.P. Bacluda, I just got to let you know, hey, <laughs> every once in a while, uh, the settings on my microphone, on my computer, uh, default to my non-podcasting mic. And if you're wondering why does Kerry sound so tinny, that's what happened in this interview. Anyway, it was too good an interview not to bring it to you. So if you happen to notice things like that, which I do, uh, yeah, uh, my mic quality is not what it normally is during this interview, but I think you're going to love the interview anyway. So without further ado, my conversation with J.P. Pokluda. J.P., welcome back. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, Carrie. So yeah. grateful for you. Great to reconnect, and I'm kind of asking all my guests this, but this will be on in the summer. But uh, how's life changed for you in the last few months? I mean, has it changed for everybody? But what has been the impact of the disruption on you?
0: Yeah, well, a lot more board games, a lot more walks. You know, I think my dog is tired of going going on walks. But professionally, as soon as you know, COVID nineteen hit. We gathered everybody in a room and I just I addressed the staff face-to-face. I said, hey, this will be the last time we gather like this for some time and for the foreseeable future. I don't know how long. And so we just wrote our mission. We said, hey, what is our mission in the midst of a global pandemic on the board? And we said, how can we grow the church spiritually when we can't gather? And so that's what we began to to spin our wheels around. And the way that we do that here in, in Waco is we have small groups. We call them life groups. And we just I had just cast a vision in front of the church. I said, listen, we are we are one church with hundreds of campuses around the city. And those campuses are your small group. And so and I said, because we may not be able to gather here soon. And if they if we can't gather in this building, we're going to keep gathering in those smaller groups. And I said that having no concept of a global pandemic. That wasn't on anyone's radar at the time. And I was just casting vision for the importance of small groups but, lo and behold, like that's what we've been doing is everybody's role on staff pivoted to being what we call a life group shepherd, where they're checking on these groups every day. They're calling the leaders, they're praying for them, they're asking what they need. They're removing confusion, removing barriers, removing obstacles, and resourcing those groups. And then on Sunday, we're doing everything or on the weekends. We're doing everything we can to provide excellent content for them to gather around a screen and to watch. And so even after we open, uh, this summer, God willing, we're going to continue to ask those who are in a life group to, to do that for the foreseeable future. And then whoever doesn't have a life group, they can gather here. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like, how do you shift this 2,000 year old tradition we call church? That's what I've been working on.
1: Yeah, yeah. What's interesting too is in the last year or so, you went from a, a large church in Dallas, Watermark, leading their, really, it was the youngest. Um, young adult or the largest young adult ministry in America, 7,000 people-ish who are meeting in different locations. And I was there one Tuesday night when you were leading the porch. And, you know, you hear often people say, oh, yeah, it's so massive. But like, you could not get a parking spot for miles. Like people were packing that place out, which was incredible. And then you move to a rural community with a very historic church. So, Uh, I mean, you're leading change not in the context of Watermark, which was pretty much pivot ready and digital ready, uh, but with a far more traditional evangelical church. So can you talk about how ready you were to make the switch to digital when COVID hit?
0: Yeah, it was so interesting because I had seen something that we needed work really well. And that was just God's kindness to me. But when this hit, like we didn't have the cameras we needed. I mean, we didn't have the yeah. the technology and resources. Like most churches, that, right? like yeah. Really and right. so and so it was just like, okay, what do we need? What does this look like? How can we provide something excellent online? Uh, When we don't have even the resources to do that, and so we just we started creating a list. Like, all right, what do we need to be excellent? And I, I, you know, I would watch my kids. So we would we would pre-record the service, and so I sat there on a Sunday morning with my family. And so my kids are seven, a seven, eleven, and thirteen, and. When their daddy came on, I'm telling stories about them, Carrie, and they're they're nodding off. I mean, they're they're not paying attention. I mean, they're checking out. So they're the watching birds is literally out the about window, them and they're falling asleep. And I know, and I'm like, this story is about you. You got to listen and I, but what what would happen is they would watch YouTubers like if i let them all day long and that's like this this generation that's coming up they don't watch tv they watch YouTubers they love YouTubers they would watch Collins Key until the sunset if i let them and so i'm like what is it about this guy like how is he engaging them so well when i as a professional communicator can't and so i started interviewing YouTubers i mean that's what it was it was like what are you doing that is, you know, what are the things, the best practices that, that you do that engages? And so what we did, Carrie, which is different than for a lot of people, I know they're doing live streaming services, but what we did is we we did a service and then we took it into post-production and did a lot of work in post-production with like things popping up on the screen, uh, animations, things of that nature that we thought would make it more engaging. We took the camera, we got a mobile setup, and we began to go on site and so like this past week I was talking about a sunset was in the illustration and we recorded that service at 7:30 uh, p.m. so it started the service started in broad daylight and it ended in pitch darkness I mean and you got to see all of the colors behind me as the sun sunset directly behind me and I didn't even really address that it just kind of went with the message and so trying to think about those things that will engage the listener and the viewer through a screen is is where we began to spend all of our time, and it wasn't expensive things; it was creative things. So I tried to bring the most creative people that I knew in a room, and just say, "All right, what what can we do? What should we do? Uh, what does it look like to you know, again, that mission? How do we grow the church spiritually when we cannot gather and be as engaging as possible?" And so that led to some really, you know, fun ideas. And so you know, constraints are the birthplace of innovation. And, and so it was fun to see watch to watch those people innovate.
1: So- I'd love to double click on that and find out a little bit more about what you learned from YouTubers. So you're right. Typically what happens is whether you're broadcasting live on a Sunday morning with a crowd, live on Sunday morning to camera, or even from your home, we're all kind of like talking heads. It's the 20 to 40 minute monologue, right? Maybe you got a TV, maybe you got some illustrations and that kind of thing what makes youtubers different what did you discover and how have you changed your messages you gave us a couple of examples but I'd love I'd love more on that
0: yeah well it, it's let me let me start by saying if you think about and I, I don't mean this in any insulting way towards somebody uh, in fact it's an incur- I mean it as an encouraging way but if you think about people pastors who have large TV presence or online presence they, they're they almost a parody of a person I mean they have these big personalities they're very animated and uh, and it's why people make fun of them because that you can because they have such distinct character uh, qualities and traits and so that's true for YouTubers. I mean, they will get up there, and the, and you, everybody knows what it's like to watch somebody who's boring, just kind of the talking head, the want, 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 the the Charlie Brown teacher, if you will, versus someone who's not boring, someone who's fun to watch. As if you were people watching, you would choose this person because they hold your attention, and and you know it's it's almost like Jim Carrey in a movie, right? He he's an yeah. over actor, and and so for that reason, he's fun to watch, and people like him are fun to watch. And so that's one thing where the, the YouTubers nail it. But then with that also, as they say something, if we're going to pre-record something or we're, we're creating something, and it doesn't even have to be the weekend service, it could be like an equipping video or something along, along those lines, we can then take that into post-production and we didn't carry, we didn't have somebody who was good at that. And so as I began to think about, okay, who do we need to hire in the midst of this? Because there's a lot of need. We need a CFO. We're, we're looking for a director of operations, kind of an executive pastor, if you will. But I'm like, we need to put all those hires on hold, and we need to find content generators, like people who are really good at generating content. So I, I called a local YouTuber, and I just said, hey, will you work for us part-time? Like, can we bring you on on contract? One, to consult with us, but two, to help us provide uh, or to create video resources and so i I think a lot of what i learned from them it happens in that content um i'm sorry that um that post-production creation like what does it look like for things to pop up on the screen and to edit and um and to to not just be a talking head in an auditorium but to go somewhere creative and then the other thing they all said to a person carrie which plays into something else you and I have talked about before and I'm sure we'll talk about again, is just this idea of you got to be real. You got to be authentic. Like, don't get up there. When I talk about animation, I'm not talking about anything fake. You know, I'm talking about being absolutely real um, and and then even creating opportunities for them to see behind the scene, like for to show you our process in creating this thing that you're watching and and what does it look like for us to brainstorm and and to let them in some of the content creation before it's actually created?
1: Okay, so what we'll do is we'll link to one or two of those messages in the show notes if people want to see an actual sample. Is that fair? We can do that. Sure, absolutely. Get the link. Yeah. Uh, so, listeners, so you can you can go and see it yourself. What was there like? I, I just and if I'm you know drilling down too much, just tell me. We'll move on. No, ask but This is fascinating. So. Um, what were some of the top lessons why did they say our usual style is boring and why were we not connecting with your 11 year old so you got little things popping up and i haven't seen the message so i'm asking like most listeners it's like yeah this is really intriguing so if i hired a youtuber uh what specific changes would they start to make you mentioned a few like be real uh take you behind the scenes uh what would they do with length uh how many how many cuts would they make i mean typically Right. If you look at a three-camera setup or a two-camera setup, which a lot of churches would have on a Sunday morning, you're not changing camera angles that often. Like, are they doing handheld? Or are they doing single lens? Like, let's 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 get nerdy here for a second. And
0: that was so fascinating because, you know, old, old production would say just this idea of like having the moving camera and and getting like in the worship, like getting this the keys, getting that shot, and and it yeah, the really. Right. Right. Exactly. The boom or whatever yeah. it is, I don't even know. But but with a YouTuber, it's a webcam and they're talking to it. It's like a GoPro, you know. And so it wasn't. It wasn't that we like needed more and better and 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 those kinds of things. And honestly, Carrie, I'm in the middle of the experiment, so I'm I'm still learning and still thinking about it because like here's things I'm wrestling with, and this this may be of helpful, uh, and this may be helpful or not. But I, I think about like with a YouTuber. It's like I can I can say, okay, let's go in the Bible and and it can the Bible can just appear, right? And like in my hands, we can do that in editing, but that's a little bit cheesy, okay? And so I haven't pushed the envelope to that point because I'm like, is that that's where I'm wrestling? like, is that cheesy? Is that like, okay, I'm not gonna watch that. This isn't like some you know, Vegas magic show. Uh, this is my Sunday sermon. So how far how far can we push the envelope? What does that look like? But they all said, Hey, you, you need to be authentic. You know, let them see behind the scenes. Let them see you wrestle with things. Let them see you set up. Let let them see the mistakes and and some of the outtakes, if you will. And so, those are things that we've done, and and we we continue to consider. Uh, they, you know, I think shorter. I think there is something to length right now. Like you, um, you're you're not going to want to watch something through a screen as long as you do. In person, I mean that that's been consistent across the board. The post editing, hey, when I say my point, like it can show up on the screen in different ways. It doesn't just have to be in the lower thirds like always. Like it shows up on IMAG. Like what does it look like for for that to pop up in a creative way? One one of the whole the sermons we did, it was the whole sermon was um, split screen. And so, like I was on half of the 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 um, the screen, and then the things I were saying were popping up on the other half. We've we've experimented with sitting down, um, just kind of more casual. We've had other people there to make it more conversational. We've experimented with on set. We've experimented with okay. As I you know, when I think about that linchpin illustration. Uh, Is it, you know, can, can there be something like if I'm talking about a roller coaster, can I be at a theme park? Like that kind of idea. And so those are the things, those are all things that we've done and considered, continue to consider every week. Like right now was right before you and I jumped on here, I was in a text message like, okay, where do we want to be this week? And I'll, I'll just tell you, we're thinking about shooting the sermon at an airport. And, um, you know, because it's on decisions and it talks about options and different gates and th- that sort of thing. So we're, we're trying to find an airport that we can shoot the sermon at.
1: Isn't that interesting? You know, we had a, a, a thing for years. We were a double portable church, two campuses, and we would do the week delay. So shoot it at the broadcast location and then play back at, uh, you know, online and et cetera after and at the other location. Uh, we're three campuses now, or we were before COVID. Everybody's a single campus all of a sudden, but um, we synced up live. But in order, long story short, in order, you can't do Easter a week late. You can't do Christmas a week late. Come December 31st, celebrate the birth of Jesus. That just doesn't work. So what we would do is we would do on-location shoots. I did an Easter at a graveyard. You mentioned the whole sunset-sunrise thing. Uh, I did that one year for Good Friday Easter. It's like Good Friday, the sunset, we went to Black, Easter Sunday, I filmed it over a sunrise. And All that kind of creative shooting and then we just went back to normal and talking heads. But we did that to solve a problem and what these YouTubers are telling you is, oh, that may actually be the future. So curious, does this take you more time now to produce a message or uh, like are you spending double the Mm -hmm. time you used to to record and like you think of total time including broadcast time like, you know, Sunday morning is a six, eight hour investment depending on uh, where you're at, message rehearsal time. If you had that, had to add that all up. Is this actually more work?
0: Yeah, the the time is is reallocated, and so it's just it's different. Uh, you're spending. I'm spending less time um, in, you know, outside of the service in the planning and those uh, and and those kinds of things. And some of this is my wiring, Carrie. Like I, I want to say right. that. Um, and, but rather I'm, I'm like, Hey, let's just go and try it. Let's try stuff. Okay. We got to do that again. Let's, let's, let's move that shoot. Uh, on Easter, you said this, I almost thought you were messing with me because our theme this Easter was graves to gardens. And so we started shooting in a cemetery and then in the middle of the, of the service, we did a song and then, um, you, you came back and I was in a garden. And so that <laughs> it was that, it was that pivot. Right. And so we're not trying to trick anybody. Like we're like, we're like, being obvious with what we're doing. In fact, this past Sunday was the sun was setting behind me. But then when you came back to that last worship song, like it was broad daylight, you know, because we had shot we had shot that before. And and we're not we're not trying to fool you. Um we're 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 using those kinds of uh illustrations obviously and in in apparent ways. And so I um I did I answer your question.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, but you, so your total time isn't more, but you just have more creative teams on it. And uh, how, how long is your typical message right now? I mean, we're a couple months into this. This will be uh, broadcast a little bit earlier. Yeah. And
0: so on the time, um, the time allocation is just, it's, it's shifting. It just changes where it's we put changing. the time. And you think through, okay, we need to create more time than the, the typical hour and 15 minutes that was a normal service, service in the past. And we were shooting it live well, now we're giving ourselves a three-and-a-half-hour window to shoot that service uh, because we may change set. We may go somewhere else. We're going to do worships, those kinds of things. And a lot of time is spent in in post-production in editing. But today, the the message is 35 minutes when yesterday it was 45 minutes. If it, By yesterday, I mean... Pre COVID 19. Okay,
1: so you've only shaved 10 minutes off. You're not down to 20 or that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: or 15, a TED talk that we haven't gone there yet, but we're we're still in the experimental phases. And so we're trying with everything and we're kind of seeing what works and we're surveying them, we're asking questions. And, you know, we have the big rocks that won't change. We're going to continue to teach the Bible, like that won't change, but how we teach it will change.
1: Right. Um, Now, you've got a more traditional church that you're walking into. What has the response of the congregation been, your audience, to to the changes they've seen?
0: Yeah, our initial mission statement was we want to grow— the body spiritually when we can't gather, and I added that spiritually because I didn't want anyone to think that we were trying to grow, saying like, "Hey, we want to grow in numbers when we can't gather." But we've seen that. That's what's really cool is just even in teaching, I just taught through Acts two, and it, you know, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved, and in the time, in this time when we can't gather, uh, people they they found us, and and I'm not talking about just like overseas and in different places. While that happens the the people that I'm most excited about are, are folks locally that we can help assemble uh, into the body. And so we're actually holding membership classes with people who've never been inside our church building, but they're going to join the church in in this time. And so that's been really fun to think about, hey, how, to, how can we recreate that?
1: Have you gotten any members who've been around a long time who are like, excuse me, just a minute, this is not a sermon. What is all this stuff popping in and the quick edits and the setting and that kind of thing. Have you heard any of that?
0: I haven't heard anyone say this isn't a sermon. Uh, there are people, you know, this whole thing has been very uh, divisive, right? You have people on both ends of the spectrum. And so there's people from day one, like what we're not going to meet. This is crazy. Do we not have faith? And then you have people that are like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to step back into a building with other humans in it till 2022 and so, and then you have everyone in between. Like you have people that if you ask them to, to show up, they feel like it's a death sentence. And then you have people that um, that would have preferred to never stop. So I, I get more of that those kinds of complaints, but not around how we're doing it. I, I think if, if you do something excellently, excellence honors God and inspires people. And so I'm just thinking through, hey, how can we inspire people and honor God? And as long as we're doing that, I think, you know, they, they at least should be content.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm thinking about in just speaking directly to church leaders, but I mean, if you're a business leader, uh, you've got application here because all of a sudden your website, your delivery became more important, right? If you're a restaurant, it's like takeout just got really, really important. And your online ordering system got really important. Uh, I want you to think moving forward, and I know we're still in the middle of it, we haven't emerged into a new normal even by the time this airs, but when you think about 2021, assuming that at some point you're going to be able to gather in person again, are you going to reallocate staffing and budget to invest more in online, or are you making any changes in that area?
0: Yeah, Without a doubt, I don't know how you couldn't. Um, <laughs> this This is a fault line in the history of our world and our industries and our businesses, our economies, and certainly our church, uh, Big C Church and our churches. And so if we're going to cross this fault line or when we get on the other side of this fault line, there, it's not like the internet's going to go away, Carrie. I mean, that that's here to stay. And it's not like the iPhone is going to go away. I mean, it'll be reinvented and it'll become something different. And so I, I would love to, like, this is what, and this is why I get so excited about you. And I'm not, I don't mean this in, in just empty flattery. I love the way that you're inspiring people to run ahead because as you look at the history of the church, I mean, some of the most beautiful art, the most beautiful music, the most beautiful production was coming from the church. The church was the Hollywood of days past. It was the New York City. It was it, it was the LA of, of years past. And so I think we can be that again if we begin to think innovatively, hey, what does it look like for us to... Teach people in the most compelling and beautiful way. What what are those the the new songs that need to be written? And I don't even mean songs literally. It's interesting, Carrie, because you know I I I I released a book in the midst of the the coronavirus, in the midst of the Congratulations epidemic. Congratulations on that, and <laughs> and I had sent to to you and and other friends just around the world a copy with a letter and. And in the first paragraph, I said, you know, in the movie Ready Player One, there's this lady who attends church by by watching through virtual reality goggles. And so I sent friends just a, a small gift of, of VR goggles, virtual reality goggles. And I said, who knows what the future of the church is going to look like? Now this is before this hat. And so while that's in transit in the mail, right? Coronavirus comes our way, and then churches start. I mean, I mean, it, was just, it felt. I was like, Lord, what are you doing? You know, it just felt weird and and you know my my friend uh propaganda got that and he called me he's like what did you know <laughs> you know he he, po- he posted something did he was like what did was yeah I was like what did you i was like man i didn't know anything but it, and so uh I, that may be it like that may be we may attend church virtually and i don't mean just watching it on on a, a flat screen. I mean, we may put on goggles and turn to our right and left and greet our neighbors, and that may be the future. I don't I don't pretend to know, but I hope we find out, and I hope businesses learn from us. Like, how fun would that be if we're not following the apples and the googles and the teslas, but the but the elons are calling us and saying, "Hey, how are you thinking through this?" Because I, I've seen the way you're doing, it and I've I've been really inspired. Like, that's what, that's what would bring me joy.
1: I love that line of thinking. I really do. You know, it's interesting. And I mean, I get it. People are, uh, people are in shock. People are reeling. But in the first week or two of the coronavirus, and I do tend to run ahead. I've been talking about digital church for years, as you have, and church online. But, you know, all of a sudden people are like, why are you so big on this? And what do you mean the future is digital? And there were a number of people who left, like, comments that just said, well, what if the internet breaks? Like, we can't get into our building now. What if the internet breaks? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they'd figured out how to fix that. Like, I'm I'm quite certain that the internet would not be down very long. But it's interesting how often church leaders, you know, not just theologically, but just methodologically have a very conservative approach uh, to life and to things. And I know what I know. I can be good in this space. What would you say, because I've had this conversation with a few leaders, because you've you've operated online, but you've also operated in other space. What would you say to leaders who would say, look, Carrie, I've spent, JP, I've spent a decade. We're a very successful church. We know how to do it. And then the methodology broke as a result of the disruption. And I don't know whether I want to learn a new skill set. What would you say? I just want things to go back to as close as they were before, as close as we can make it in the new normal. What's your word to them?
0: Yeah, two, one, I'm going to answer that question. And first I'm going to answer the question, you know, what if the internet breaks? To that I would say, who cares? It's not broken today, right? I mean, we have it today, we have to use it. If it breaks tomorrow, like if we have to, if we go back in time, if there's some post-apocalyptic era that, that we just can't even see right now. Fine, we'll adapt and we'll pivot then. We're all in the
1: then. forest hunting and gathering. Then we'll yeah, that but out. we
0: have to pivot today with what's available to us today. And um, and so to the person who refuses to innovate, like just wants to go back, you know, I would just say, you know, it's, it's something that you and I've talked about before. If you're not reaching the future, of the church, your church has no future, and. That that's what I would say to them, and and honestly, I would say, hey, find my friend Kerry Newhoff. He has a lot of resources on burnout, and um, I'm concerned that you might be there and not realize it. Because the second we say, hey, we no longer want to innovate, something else is going on. Like we're tired, and um, and I understand. I want to give people permission. To to be tired right now, to be challenged, and and you know, Carrie, one of my first emotions in this was frustration because all my friends were like, "Isn't it great? We slowed down and we're going on walks." And it's so you know, we, we i just my I can't go to work, and so and I didn't feel that. I felt I mean, I was like, "Man, slow down!" The second this hit, it sounded it felt like I started a forty yard dash that never s- stopped, you know, and and so it, it didn't feel like slowed down at all initially. And um, and so I get that. like I understand if you're tired momentarily, but if you get to a place where you say, in, in ministry in general, not just pastors and preachers and teachers, but in ministry in general, if you're like, "Hey, I don't want to innovate anymore," then I, I think um, y- you know something else is going on, and, and you need you need help, you know, and I, I don't mean that in a in a jab kind of way. I mean that in a sincere like, "Hey, please get help, because we always have to innovate.
1: I think that's a really good word. And yeah, I'm I'm concerned some days and I have to watch this in my own life, but you know, don't let your fatigue make your decisions for you.
0: Right. And
1: when fatigue makes my decisions, I do not make great decisions. And I think that's a good word. And things are always changing. Disruption happens even outside of a year like 2020. People get disrupted all the time. It's just that crisis accelerated it. On that note, um, anything else? I've been asking every leader I can this question. Do you see this uh, thing that we're going through as an interruption or a disruption? How do, do you view it?
0: In some ways, it's both. And and so it's an, it's an interruption to what we were doing. And it's a disruption in, the, I, I think I'm, if I'm tracking with the question, it's a disruption, and that there are some things we won't go back to, and and it's 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 changed us. That the whole fault line is the fault line. used the whole fault. Line. The, I love that the, image in the church's history, line. and so it's shifted. And there are there are ways that we pivot. now there are things like like I really hope, as I said, that I'm going to give somebody a hug again. Uh, but there are some things that that we we just it, it won't there we're not going back to normal. That's what I said I wanted to do a series called New Normal with a K. Like, we think we knew normal, but we didn't know normal. <laughs> Normal's that. in front of us. I thought it was good, too. Yeah, my that, team shot really it down, fun, man. Though. I thought it was good. I'm going to tell them. Carrie Newhall Did said it, it was Did you get voted clever.
1: down?
0: Yeah, I got voted down on that one.
1: You know, I think you're a genius, so there you go. For the, <laughs> well, for the you record. and my mom. My, my only new series two is called The Rise of the New Normal at Conexus, but I didn't think about the K. There you go. That will take it. You thought you knew normal. That's, uh, I'll take that. I love it. That's great. Um, okay. Interruption, disruption. Um, any other thoughts on what's changed for you? Okay. Here's, here's, let's, let's frame this another way. Uh, this isn't happening, but let's just say we turn a light switch on. Everything that was possible in February is possible again. Borders are open. You can travel anywhere. Let's assume there's a vaccine. Coronavirus disappears. What are some of the permanent fundamental changes that you think have happened in your church as far as you are concerned.
0: Yeah, I think from a from a from inside the church, from a staff perspective, it, it is investing in that production, investing in video, investing in social media, investing in online prep platforms, investing in content managers, and so that that you know we are whiteboard you know as we think through who are we hiring and our staff and our hierarchy, you know, org chart has shifted. Uh, I think the way that uh, we create resources for life groups will change. I think that um, that post production mentality on, on a lot of resources that we create uh, will be a shift that that did was non existent in the past and that's not going away. I'm really pleased with just the response and engagement on that. Creating uh, opportunities to have conversations online. So Netflix jumped ahead on this with uh, you know watch a movie with friends. Uh, Zoom is obviously you know doing pretty well right now. And so what does it look like to have, to create opportunities for people to have conversations online that beyond just like commenting on a blog. And so we're thinking through that Um, assimilation online, Carrie that, that, so we kind of drew drew a line. We think that we can assimilate people into the church virtually, uh, but we can't assimilate, or it's not ideal to assimilate people into small groups virtually. So we think that it, that it's, it's awkward if you show up to people who are now supposed to be like close friends and the first time you meet them is, is through a screen. That's, a, that's difficult, but we do think that uh, we can give them the resources they need to know and understand our church and kind of become a part of it virtually. And so those are things that we're, we're asking the question, why is that? Like, why do we feel that way? What's the difference? And so again, we're still in the middle of the experiment but I want to say this. I, I think this is the perfect time, and I hope every leader is doing this to ask the the question. You know, what do I need to stop doing that I was doing? What do I need to start doing that I wasn't doing? What do I need to keep doing uh, that we were doing? And and so I know those aren't new questions. I know that there's nothing aha moment about that. Everyone's heard that before, or most leaders have heard that before. But this is the time; like we have to do that. And so, I gathered with the elders this morning. I said, what, "What? are the things that we don't want to carry into the future? The things that we've always done that we that we don't know why we've done them. That I mean, maybe people before us who've long been dead came up with them, and we don't know their why, and we've just continued it. But we don't really their their why is not wrapped around our hearts. Our hearts are not engaged with the why." And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to, to put that down or is it a sacred cow for us? We, we're afraid that that's going to disrupt too much of our pattern because if anything, we're seeing that we can survive disruption, right? And that's not a statement of pride. I just mean, like, listen, I've read the back of the book. The church isn't going anywhere. And so God wins. And so now we're just playing the game in the middle that we've seen the scoreboard and the final score. And so how do we play the game faithfully? And I, I think technology has to be a part of that.
1: Yeah, do you think your church and you had quite a bit of experience with this when you were leading the porch or co-leading the porch? But do you think the future church defaults to online? Do you think the larger, like if you think I don't know how many people you see, how many how many people fit in your auditorium on a Sunday morning, your sanctuary?
0: Oh well, so we have two campuses. Here is is uh, we have a thousand. And, um, and then we have another another campus downtown. And so um, we'll do two services here and then a, a third one downtown. So, so how many in-person? Person 3,000 person 3, people, 2,500 people. 2,500 people are on the Sunday yeah.
1: morning, which is a good-sized church. But do you imagine in the future that the majority of the people that you'll be reaching will not be in the room with you?
0: Um, well, in a, in a strange way – let me answer that in a number of ways. In a strange way, that that has – I think that's the challenge for me going from a large church out here and, and you know in God's grace have developed an online platform that in some ways I always they, our online uh, presence has always been bigger than who's there watching which is something that you know I've wrestled with and think through okay like return on time investment what do we need to be doing? That's a whole nother podcast that should be th- we, we could talk about um, but you know when Judah Smith did the church home, you know, everyone dogged on him, or I say everyone, a lot of people were like, hey, you can't go to church at home, and now we all have to. And so I think <laughs> yeah. there is something, you know, for us to learn from that. But I also don't think, and I hope, Gary, I hope we never replace human interaction with something of technology. And so what I mean by that is I think that face-to-face contact, that, that physical touch Uh, that will always be necessary in the church. I mean, of course, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, do not forsake the gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to encourage one another all the more while you see the day approaching. And so I, I know we have a lot of freedom of what that gathering together can look like, but even as we do more and more with technology, I hope we don't stop gathering together. I hope we don't stop breaking bread. I hope we don't stop meeting in homes. And so we have a lot of freedom in how we do church. And that's why I think every church has to challenge themselves to ask the question: Do I have sacred cows? Am I holding on to traditions too tightly? Are there things that I think of that define church for me that aren't uh, outlined in the Scripture, but they're just what my parents did and my grandparents did, and so they're what I'll do, and, and they're what I hope my children will do? That's that's kind of crazy. Like that's not that's not honoring to the Lord. Those are the things I think we have to hold loosely. But where the scripture is firm, we should be firm. And where it's flexible, we should be flexible.
1: Mm. It's interesting you're hinting at this, but I'm sure even at the porch, there were as many or more people watching online than there were in the room. Right. And I think a lot of us were kind of there pre-COVID, but I just wonder on the other side, if that kind of reverts to the default and not the idea that, yeah, you're going to have a small percentage of attenders who never show up in person. I think that's got issues but the idea that I'm out of town this week or I got a sick daughter or we're just going to do home church this week and tune in i wonder if that'll just become more of the future and if that's okay we just have to adopt
0: it depends on how i mean i think anything's okay as long as you know they're they're you know under authority of elders i would say like, you know, um uh, hebrews 13:17 um is that right my verse my address might be off there but I, I think as long as we're as long as we're defining you know church appropriately, then I think we we can have those freedoms. I mean, so like I'll just speak numbers with you. So we have uh, twenty five hundred people that will minister on any given Sunday. But our first week not gathering here, we had nine thousand people tune in. Uh, we believe, as best as we can tell, and so it was just like wow, we we grew you know uh, more than three hundred percent just. Overnight, and so what? Um, how do we how do we think about that? And I always say, like, my priority will be the assimilation of the local body. You know, in in First Peter five, I've been charged with shepherd the flock among you, and so I view the person that lives in my neighborhood different than I do the person who's on another continent watching and being encouraged. And I'm glad they're watching, and I'm glad they're being encouraged, but I don't feel responsible for their soul, Carrie in a way that I do feel responsible for that person who's here locally and like they're a member of this church. And so I think as long as we continue to consider that, there's a lot of freedom in the how and and we should do what works where the Bible allows us the freedom to do what works.
1: Okay. No, that's a that's a that's a good approach. That's a that's a healthy approach. What would be some keys to digital discipleship if people are going to be toggling in and out of your church? Um, here one week, gone the next, part of a small group, watching online. What are some keys to doing discipleship when they're not in the room?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, calling them to engage the lost, uh, equip the saints, and and be empowered for service. And so those are the three things that we spend a lot of time thinking about. And so what does it look like? I mean, that was the f- the first thing when all of this happened and we were sheltering in place, it's like, how do you evangelize? Like, how do you share the gospel right now? And so we were just like, okay, we have to use technology, You know, text people, you know, call them FaceTime. But something else we did carry is we, we put signs in yards and we wrote our cell phones on them and just said, hey, do you need help or prayer? Call me and it had the person's phone number in there so their neighbors knew that they could call them at any time. And some amazing stories came from that. Wow. Major, incredible stories of life change because of these silly cardboard signs or, or plastic signs we put in everybody's yard. So we just we put them here on the curb at the church and said, hey, come pick up your sign, write your cell phone number on it, put it in your yard. And so that was one way that we continued to engage the loss and then equip the saints. I think discipleship online, it looks like, you know, as the universities have already shifted to you know places like liberty and and uh, I mean correspondence learning around the world how do you teach through a screen and so you do so in some of the ways we covered of just like in a way that engages people and and using post-production to your advantage and then empower members for service I mean that's a that's the one where I think we have to continue to give people, opportunities that, you know, virtually we give them the opportunities, but then that they can go and physically serve, and that's going to require them being present, I I would think, at least.
1: Editorial comment. I absolutely love how your definition of discipleship includes evangelism. Thank you for that. To sure, and it doesn't job. happen enough in the church. So you got a brand new book called "Welcoming the Future Church." It sounds like we're already having that conversation in yeah. part because, yeah. like you said, it was a semi-prophetic, released uh, right around the beginning of the disruption. Uh, what are some keys to influencing, reaching, discipling the next generation? Uh, you got a few in your book. You talk about being real, teaching the whole truth, etc. Can you walk us through um, some of the keys? Because you've had just tremendous success, fruit, in influencing that next generation. So I'd love you to walk us through some of those ideas and keys. Yeah.
0: I mean, just as we walk through that book, I mean, the, 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 the first chapter is something you and I have talked about before, is just the importance of authenticity and transparency. And so being real, I mean, at some point in the church history, this was lost. And I don't know why pastors get up there and think they have to have it all together. And I think uh, the comparison game, social media puts that pressure. But the people that the future most resonate with are those who are honest and authentic? They'll talk about the fight they just got into with their spouse. They'll talk about you know their struggles with sexual sin, they'll talk about their temptations. They'll talk about you know the ways that that. Um, they struggle with materialism or whatever that is, and they're not trying to hide it and put on this facade that the illustrations are actually coming from that. And people lean in and they say, oh my goodness, this person's like me. No one wants to follow someone who walks a foot above the ground and, and is perfect unless that person is Jesus, but even he didn't walk a foot above the ground. And so, you know, what does it look like for us to be real? And, um, you know, last time I, 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 you and I had a conversation uh, I, I went back and it was episode two thirty six. I mean, you were getting after it, uh, but I, I just talked about how one time I had uh, I had looked at an image on Instagram and I and I that I shouldn't have, being a recovering porn addict, uh, and and it was it was initially an accident, but I, I lingered too long. It was sinful. It was a decision. It was a choice. It was a willful disobedience. And then I was preaching, and before I, I was just convicted of that. And so before the sermon, before any before I said anything about what I was teaching, I just confessed that. I said, guys, I want you to know yesterday I made a I made a terrible choice t- to linger at an image on social media uh, of a woman that I'm not married to. And I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm grieved and I sinned against God. And and you know, will you guys forgive me? And and I and I prayed and then I moved on to the sermon. I preached the sermon, and it was the longest line I've ever had of people wanting to meet. And they just said, I've never heard a pastor say that, you know?
1: I remember that story of all the things we talked about. And I think about that often. And yeah. I think how rare that is. Yeah, what a Powerful story. Um, walk us through the tension, JP, because you're right. There's some pastors who are like, I struggled with uh, temptation when I was 18. It's like, yeah, but you're 48. So, yeah. you know, stories from 30 years ago. That's great. We all struggled with it, but we still struggle with it where is the line between what to share and what not to share or how much to share or, you know, the right audience? Because I always believe you shouldn't keep secrets. And, but usually what would happen if you're not keeping secrets is there's a couple of people who know and the people who should know, know, but how do you know when you can share that more publicly?
0: Yeah. I heard somebody say something once. They said, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this up front that I that I don't think this is right so I think this okay, is wrong yeah yeah sure yeah, they, but and they said um, there are some things you share with some people uh, there's uh, some things you'll share with everyone and then there's some things you share with no one and I remember thinking ah oh, gosh I don't know I'm like God I need a chapter and verse with that I think I'm not I'm not sure where the Lord would say that and he. You fast forward the tape, and and he was exposed. He he w- had been caught in, in moral failure a, a few months after that, and it, it it was defining in my growth as a minister. Because initially, when I heard him say that, I wanted to believe it, but it felt inconsistent with the word. And then it was just like the, it was really affirming to me uh, how that's not true and that's really dangerous. And so, Carrie, I'm I'm. There's parts of my youthful naivety. That I just think I don't want to manage anything, and so i don't I got to a place in my life where there's if there's anything in my life i i'm I hope I'm willing to tell anybody, and I don't care who knows now I will say with in regards to platforms, it can be dangerous because this one thing where you know everyone wants to reach out and you can drown the ship when you're struggling a little bit. And I can understand how guys would manage that, but I still think, you know, err to the side of, if, if I think, should I tell them, I just tell them. And if I make a mistake, like God's going to sort that out. I tell them in faith, you know, and, and so anything that does not come from faith is sin. And so I'll just err to the side of acting in faith and saying, all right, I'm, I'll tell anybody anything. I just don't want to manage information. And, you know, that makes me not the best person to entrust secrets to and i know that i'm like, just because i'm like i don't want to put things in a particular file in my head where it's like okay that's the file i can't open up with certain groups of people i want to err to the side of complete transparency and so that's that's my flavor of leadership like that's what i uh my opinion most of what the scripture says when it says be children of the light and so that's that's the side that i err to and there are people who i respect that would say that's dangerous and that's okay. We can agree to disagree.
1: Why does that resonate so well with young adults?
0: Because they're so sick of anything fake. And all they know, well, for a lot of them, sadly, carry is fake church, that that experience where it's like, hey, we're gonna go in here and let's act like we have it together and like we weren't fighting in the car on the way here and love each other and let's present like we're the perfect family because we don't want the Smiths to know we're not the perfect family because we're in competition with them and we got to keep up with the Joneses, so let's go. And they just, they're burnt out on that, man. and And it's not, it's satanic. It's not scriptural. It's unbiblical. And I think it grieves the heart of God. And you know, God is God has nothing to hide. Like there's nothing about the character of God that that He would want to keep from us, and um, and He's not a God of confusion. And so, if I've been made in the Imago Day, if I've been made in the image of God, then what am I trying to hide from people? Certainly, nothing good, you know. And and in my own life and in my own journey, a lot of healing that I've experienced has come from exposing sin. And so, I pray. Often, every week I pray, God, mercifully expose my sin. Like, if there's something I can't see, would you mercifully expose it? And, you know, he's going to be exposed, man, one way or another. Like, you know, either in life or in death, it's going to be exposed. And we've seen it time and time again. And so, I just, Lord, mercifully expose my sin.
1: What would you say to leaders who are afraid that if they're more vulnerable, authentic, real people are going to lose respect for
0: them. They will. They're going to lose respect for you, but a lot more are going to respect you. And so people who are terrified of being authentic and vulnerable and transparent are going to lose respect for you because you challenge them uh, to be something they're terrified to be. But people who are filled with the spirit and made in the, you know, people who who are following Christ, uh, they're going to be drawn to you because I, I bet I, <laughs> I know Jesus was incredibly transparent and honest and authentic, you know, the most authentic person that's ever walked the planet earth. And so if we want to be Christ-like, you know, we're going to be authentic and the right people will be drawn to you. And every leadership decision you make, you're choosing your problems. That's that's the reality. In anything you do, any anything you say, I'm I resolve to be this or I resolve to do this, you're choosing your problems. And I really like the the set of problems that come with being completely transparent.
1: That's a good word. That's a really good word. What are some other keys to really connecting with the future church, welcoming them, getting yeah. them to really, uh, yeah, make a connection with the next generation?
0: I would say just lead, in leading them in general, the how is so much more important than the what, Carrie. And so they're going to care. Like in generations past, you could just tell somebody what to do. And out of a work ethic and you know just kind of blind obedience, they would do it. With Gen Z and Gen Y, millennials, the Generation Z coming up on the scene, they they need to know the why. And so, if you're impatient as a leader, if you kind of have this attitude of hey, you don't need to know the why, you know, just do what I say, you're not going to inspire them, and uh, and I don't think you're going to reach them as a minister. And so, I think you have to spend a lot of time on the why. Let me just give you an example of what this looks like. There's two kinds of leaders. If I have a task that we have to do, let's just say we got to go in the parking lot and pick up trash. Um, yeah. there, there's a there's a leader that's going, say, that's going to be more tactical and practical, pragmatic, if you will. Hey guys, there's there's trash in the parking lot. My guess is 786 pieces. You know, there's 700 of us. If we each pick up, you know, around 120 pieces, we we should be good. Let's give ourselves this much time. You know, yeah. walk up when you see a piece of trash, pick it up. Okay. He, he's saying what to do, right, and and even how to do it. But then there's another there's another kind of leader that says he gathers everyone and says, "Hey guys, we're going to change the world today, and and we're going to make it a better place." And and there's some visitors that are going to come on our property tomorrow. That if they came on today, they'd be turned off and they wouldn't return, and we'd hinder the gospel. But because they're going to come on tomorrow, because of what we're about to do, they're going to be endeared to Christ, and our place is going to look a little bit more like the kingdom. And we're going to go out there, and the way that we're going to change the world today is we're going to beautify our place. We're going to make it more beautiful. We're going to bring shalom. We're going to bring the kingdom. We're going to bring peace. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to pick up trash, you know. And people want to run through a wall. Yeah, you know, they want to run through a wall, and and that's so important, Uh, you know, just inspiring the next generation is going to be so important in our efforts to lead them.
1: Hmm. I can see leaders pushing back right now. And as an older Gen X, um, I get the, hey, there's garbage on the ground, pick it up. But what would you say to leaders who are like, really? Like, we got to keep motivating people. We have to like, oh, you're going to change the world. Isn't that the problem with the next generation?
0: No, you don't have to. I mean, you can let your organization die. Um, you don't have to, uh, and, and it's just like I said. If you're not reaching the future of the church, your church has no future. And so I, I've had the same pushback. I mean, as a as a reminder, I gave, a, I taught at a seminary, and I told that story about being authentic before the message, and I had pastors say, "Hey, you can't do that. You can't use that word in mixed gender audience talking about pornography. Uh, you need to present to be holy. Uh, you you can't. You know." And I just I, I wept, carry over them, and I mean respectfully, because these are people I I'm, I'm sure have done a work of God and I'm thankful for, but I wept over them because I just thought you will not reach them. And so no, every decision we make is, is a decision to reach them or not. and and some people will not have the patience to reach them. And that's the reality. You're going to say, no, I will not choose my, I will not change my methods. Um, they need to do it because I said so. And that's great. You, you know, you keep interviewing them, keep going through the cost of turnover, right? Keep going through the cost of attrition. And eventually you might find a young person who will do it because you said so, right? And it doesn't matter if you think they should or not. You're going to pay a really expensive price in an effort to find them, or you can learn a new way, which is inspiring them. And the choice is yours.
1: Let's talk about work. You and I have messaged back and forth on that uh, on multiple occasions, and it's something close to my heart. But there are some significant changes in how the next generation approaches work. And I realized, you know, one of them early on was like, hey, I want to work from a coffee shop. Hey, uh, what's this idea about eight to four? You know, as I joke, eight to four doesn't work anymore. All of a sudden, COVID, the disruption, working from home, losing access to offices, businesses, unemployment. Changes everything, but looking at the more meta trends, what are some of the the differences that the next generation has and how they think about and approach and like to work?
0: Yeah, I mean, you you pick up on them as well as anybody. I mean, just the creativity, the flexibility, uh, you know, work workplace environment, um, fringe benefits, uh, all of that, and and I think what the the heart of our dialogue was I would just say there's some businesses that you can't change the time of those businesses, right? I mean, they're, they're still going to need eight to five employees or there, there's some some industries out there that will still need people to work overnight and we can't get to a place where like, okay, there's no there's no Gen Zers that are willing to work overnight and so this industry must die. And so I, that's where I would start with is is the why. Like, here's why it's important that we do this and i think if they can get on board with your why they will be willing to meet your what and your how and your when in this circumstances in in this case and so that would be my big heart behind that message is is the next generation is willing to do a lot if you will spend the time on the inspiration and the why and, uh, and if you can flex and create a more flexible work environment and uh, uh, you know show up when you can or, or you know we're gonna work shorter hours or whatever that is if you can do that then then great more power to you but I, I just want to acknowledge there's industries out there that can't do that and um, it's not it's not just that I don't want to. Um, pilots have to fly planes, you know, at all hours and these kinds of things have yeah, to happen. Yeah. And if you're running so, a
1: manufacturing firm and you have three shifts, I get that, right? Yeah. You have the midnight shift, you've got um, other essential services and even, you know, the late shift at Starbucks. It's like, no, you're going to be closing or you're going to be opening at five thirty yeah. in the morning.
0: Yeah. And so, and so there is an aspect of sometimes reparenting that has to happen. And, and what I mean by that because that's a loaded term and like I'm an advocate for Gen Z and, and millennials and, and, and Gen X. Um, but what I mean by that is is sometimes there is a hey, these are the fundamentals and you know I, I understand that you're not used to being somewhere on time. like here it's going to be paramount that you show up on time. This is what time you have to show up. I, I need you to do this and here is why this matters. Let me spend some time on the why where there's going to be people out there that, that feel like, Hey, I I shouldn't have to do that. Like, well, you know what, if you do, I think you're going to get a return on that investment because what I see in this generation is they want to do something bigger than themselves. They're not lazy. They will work hard, but the why really matters.
1: So the why really matters. And is it, Part of it, I mean, the way I think about it sometimes, because I've done my share of reparenting over the years, JP, is uh, and not just, you know, obviously my own kids, but just team members and that kind of stuff. Is it that they didn't really get the life skills? Like you look at what's happened during lockdown and all of a sudden people had to rediscover or discover for the first time how to cook. They just, they don't have life skills. It's like nobody ever held me accountable. If I skipped a class, I skipped a class. If I didn't do the the assignment, the teacher gave me an A anyway. Uh, Is it stuff like that?
0: Yeah, some of that. I mean, that that is that's an aspect of it. I mean, yeah, they're not doing something because they never learned that it was important. I mean that that that's where I would start that. And so that's what I mean by reparenting is is just to stop and say, hey, let me let me share with you why this is important. Um, That you know, back everything goes back to the why. I think in leading that generation and inspiring them is just to take the time to go slow, like they say, go slow in the turns. I would say go slow in the whys and and make sure that they're on board with you, that their heart's engaged and they're nodding their head and then you say, okay, great. And and my hunch is that's going to be a faster track to them showing up on time than your ultimatum. And that's what's going to baffle the next generation is your ultimatum. It's not going to work because it's not going to inspire them. So you're just going to see a lot of attrition.
1: Any worst practices, some things for leaders and managers that you're like, yeah, whatever you do, don't do this with younger leaders?
0: Yeah, I think that's one of them. What I just said is, is, a, is I think is that take it or leave it because I said so ultimatum. Uh, that that leader is going to struggle to reach the future. Uh, making fun of them is not going to help you. I mean, I think seeing the good in anybody just generally as a leader is a good practice, but particularly as you generalize that to an entire generation, that's a best practice. Understanding the strengths that you're getting with the generation and not just focusing on the weaknesses, uh, you know, um, boring them. And so, I understand that some work is boring, and it doesn't. Not all work needs to be fun, but also where you can remove drudgery. As a as a believer, uh, is for any Christian that's listening. I would just say you should remove drudgery, and that that's a part of displaying. What does that look like?
1: Removing drudgery.
0: You know, I I think it's that every now and then you're running that. What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And what do I need to keep doing? And in the stop doing, do I have you know paperwork? That's just mundane. Am I having people, you know, fill out paperwork uh, just because we always have, but it's not necessary? Like, like if, okay, like here's a pet peeve of mine. When I go to the doctor, I get so frustrated that I have to fill out a, Page and I turn the page and it's the same information and then I turn another page it's the same information. I have to fill out all of this I that's paperwork. I have to
1: give you my phone number and address, right? Yeah, I'm just
0: like, why, yeah. why do I have to keep writing down my address? Can these not talk to each other? And so it's just like, if somebody should come up with something that streamlines this process a little bit. And so that's just us and in the essence of innovation. Anytime we can streamline something, we, we don't want to make someone do difficult things and, and, and do things that they don't enjoy just as kind of... Um, as a, as a punishment, if you will, or, or just because like wherever we can make our workplace fun and engaging, we should. Now where you can't, you don't have to, you know, where, where people need to fill out paperwork, they need to fill out paperwork.
1: Okay. No, that's really good. JP, anything else you want to share?
0: Uh, I, you know, I would say I I shared it earlier, but I'll elaborate and just say, you know, a, a big thanks to you. And, um, I think the resources that you're creating, that God is in His grace is allowing you to create are changing the world and impacting and, and shaping the minds of thinkers. And uh, I'm very encouraged at who you're influencing, Carrie. And I would just say, keep on. And then I would just commend your listeners uh, that that they've chosen someone who is is a, a great thinker of our day, uh, and and someone who attracts great thinkers of our day. Present company excluded. Uh, and I'm just so I'm 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 thankful for you. And then to you know those of uh, just on topic, I would say be willing to pivot. You know, I, I would just challenge everyone to audit their sacred cows and their blind spots. And the most dangerous thing about my blind spots is I can't see them, and so I have to have smart people around me that that are not just smart, but they're bold and courageous and honest. And they'll tell me, "Hey, you've got a blind spot." The emperor has no clothes on, and and so I I celebrate. The courageous leaders around me, when they stand up to their boss, and uh, and and I commend them, and sometimes promote them uh, because of it. Because I don't I don't want to surround myself with yes men and women. I want to surround myself with people who will be honest with me. That's that's really really valuable to me in co leaders and co laborers. And so to anybody who's listening that's that's efforting to lead people, make sure you are surrounded with with people that will point out your blind spots, because we all have blind spots today, all of us, every single person, and we can't see them.
1: Totally agree. Those are very kind words. Thank you so much, JP. And I gotta say, I've always found our conversations very stimulating. You made me think about a lot of things today. And I appreciate your writing and your contribution. The book is called Welcoming the Future Church. It's available everywhere books are sold. And if people want to track you down online, what's the easiest place?
0: Yeah, so at Jay Pakluda. Pakluda is my last name, P-O-K-L-U-D-A, uh, on Instagram, Twitter. Um, HarrisCreek.org is our church website. And then we have a, a do a podcast as well called the Becoming Something Podcast, which is for young adults. And so would would love for anyone to listen to that.
1: Awesome. Awesome. JP, once again, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you.
1: Well, that was a fascinating conversation. And if you want more, we have show notes and we've got transcripts. I'm a transcript guy. I will sometimes, if I listen to a show, I will sometimes pay to have someone transcribe it because I like it so much. Well, you don't never have to do that with this show because we do it for you. Uh, We just want to help you. And so you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 357. Transcripts are there for free. The offers from our partners are there for free. Um, Some show notes with some highlights and quotables are there. And, uh, well, we'd love to serve you that way. We got a fresh episode coming up next week. And I'm talking to my good friend, Sam Collier. Sam's back. And we have a powerful personal conversation to talk about, well, what it's like growing up black in America in the 90s and the 2000s. And some of the things he shares, it's kind of like, really? Yeah, really. And, uh, well, we talk about a lot of other things, too. And uh, here's an excerpt.
0: We are living in the results of those systems set up in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s. We're living in the result of what those systems set up to be, for, for America to be. And so what it looks like now is, well... 80% 80% of the CEOs of the largest companies in our world are white. Or let's just go America, are white. 20% even maybe lower, 15% are minority. You start to go, okay, now how did that happen? <laughs> right, right,
1: yeah, so, yeah.
0: And and so then you and, and then what it looks like is okay, well, we got to hire for this company. Well, how do people hire? They hire out of their immediate circle.
1: Okay, so that's next time on the podcast. Also coming up: Levi Lusco, Brian Miles, Adrian Gostick, uh, Danielle Strickland, John Tyson, Nick Walenda from the like Daredevil family. Cool. Gordon McDonald, uh, Angela Santamero, who created Blue's Clues, and so much more. We also have Lecrae coming up. It's going to be a really, really fun lineup. Subscribers, you know, you get that stuff all for free. And now it's time for what I'm thinking about. We do this at the end of every episode. And I want to talk to you today about the new workplace. And what I want to talk to you about is how you get real accountability from your team. So this segment is brought to you by my new course called Lead a Better Team. It's not available yet, but here's what you can get. You can get my cheat sheet on how to create an amazing cultural value system and cultural values by texting the words better values, all one phrase, better values to 33777. You'll get my three-step guide to developing better value statements for free. And by belay, you can text carry to 31996, C-A-R-E-Y to 31996 to get your free download of things to delegate to save 15 hours this week. Um, yeah, that two minutes to text that uh, probably is going to save you 15 hours. I would do that. So a lot of people are frustrated with their teams. And uh, I think the workplace has changed. And what 2020 has done has brought a lot of change that was happening in the next decade super, super fast. And that's why we thought it was time to release my new Lead a Better Team course. And uh, what I want to talk to you about is a frustration that I've had for a long, long time with team members, took me years to figure out. And I've been able to help lots of leaders figure this one out. And I want to share it with you. How do you get real accountability with your team? Well, the problem is for a lot of us, we manage process not outcomes. And think about the old workplace, right? The old workplace was, well, show up at eight, you know don't be late, stay till four, don't goof off, don't take extra lunch time. and and you think about all of that, guess what that is That's process management. Well how many sick days did you have right? It's like, oh, you won too many, okay, you're bad. Meanwhile, somebody could be there the entire time and accomplish nothing. That's why The Office was such a funny show, right? It's like we've all been in workplaces where everybody just sits around and not much gets done. And of course, you don't want to lead a team like that. So how do you do that? And then throw throw this complication into it, okay? Now you got a team working remotely. I mean, if you think that this is a little blip in the work radar where everyone's going to go back to offices, that's not going to happen. I mean, people, massive corporations are switching to remote work, churches are switching to remote work, and... If you're like, no, 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 I want everyone back in the office one day. Okay, maybe you do, but that is gonna make you lose out on some incredible staff members who are saying, I just need more flexibility because the flexible workplace I think is the future workplace. In fact, I just hired someone from my team who said, what she really wanted was remote work. Um, this is a desirable thing to have. So what most of us are gonna end up with in the future, I have a 100% virtual team, but most of us are gonna have a hybrid team. Well, how do you get real accountability when you can't even see people anymore? And so I want to share this principle with you. And we unpack a lot more in the Lead a Better Team course. But uh, it's simply this, that you need as a boss, I need as a leader, real actual accountability on what team members are supposed to do, but giving them freedom on how to do it. So that's a pretty simple idea, but it can be really difficult. Because what it means is I've got to create a clear metric system for accountability. And sometimes that's difficult. You know, for a lot of us in leadership, what do we do? We're like, well, you know, what you need is more, more people, more results, more kids, more uh, people, more money. I don't know, you just need more, right? Well, that's not actually measurable. And so you need some measurable, clear goals. And then you got to do what Michael Scott always hated doing, hold people accountable and say, okay, together we agreed that by December 31st, we were going to shoot for X number of people in groups or this many people at our services or this many new clients if you're in business. And we either hit it, we exceeded it, or we dropped it. So what can I do to help? And oh man, I'll tell you, a lot of leaders don't want to go there. Talk to Patrick Lencioni about it, even Fortune 500 companies. It's like leaders don't want to hold people accountable. When you do, you will see results. Now, What a lot of us do instead, because we don't want to hold people accountable to results, is we hold people accountable to process. And it's like, well, they showed up. They didn't have too many sick days. Must be okay. I don't care about when people start work. I don't actually know as I'm recording this how many of my team are working right now and it's 9, 10 in the morning? I don't know because I don't really care. If they want to start at 10, they can start at 10. If they want to start at 5 a.m., they can start at 5 a.m. As I joke with my team, if you want to work at 3 o'clock in the morning standing on your head, I don't care. Be there for the meetings, deliver on your goals, and I'm going to give you a lot of freedom. So if you want to go to your son's soccer game, go. Just get your work done. If you want to go for a bike ride in the middle of the day, go. Just get your work done. And when you've got real accountability on that, I'll tell you, freedom and autonomy are the currency of the next generation. So if you want a team to really crush their goals and you want to see what the future workplace is like, try this. Real accountability on what people are supposed to do, freedom, on how to do it. And most people do the opposite. So I hope that's helpful. If you want more, including how to create an irresistible culture, you can simply text the words Better Values, just all one word, Better Values to 33777. I will send you a free teaching and cheat sheet on, well, kind of a fun way to create a really cool cultural values system, figure out what they are and implement that in your workplace. Because people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses and they quit cultures. And if you give them that kind of freedom and autonomy I talked about, you're going to have people around for a lot longer. So, look for the lead a better team course next month. You can get all things over at CarrieNewhoff.com. and in the meantime, text better values to 33777. Thanks so much for listening guys. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before.